students around the world are finishing their qualifications so they can get ahead in life and make their contribution. If you are studying, researching or thinking about it, you will need practical tips, techniques, coaching and support to help you get finished and be successful. I'm Peter Alkema, the Student Success Coach and welcome to the podcast. Each episode I interview successful students and leaders in education so that you will learn everything you need right here. You will learn about writing, completing your thesis and other projects, planning, discipline, how to get more done, supervisors, getting published, getting finished, how to have the right discipline and many other aspects of student life. Whether you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google or any other podcast platform, please leave a rating and a review or if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe and leave a comment. Either way, please get in touch and let us know what you think of the show and what you want to hear more of. Please always check the show notes for links to courses, material and plenty more so that you can use what you've learned in each episode, take action and achieve your student success. Please also join the Student Success Coach community in our exclusive members-only Facebook group where I post regularly and you can interact with fellow students just like yourself. Remember, you can't do this alone, so reach out, get involved and take advantage. It's my commitment to your success. Now for this week's episode. Great. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's so good to chat to you. And I just remember, you know, the first time we actually met was a few years ago and you sort of helped me find my feet uh, in the Faculty of Engineering at Pitts University, where I completed my PhD this year. So just really count you as part of my student success. So uh, Ivan, thank you so much. And just so good to see you again and have a chat uh, with you today. And how are things? I mean, just, you know, what have you been up to? Okay, so, so so Peter, thanks for inviting me, and and I absolutely do still remember that first time when when you sent an email uh, inquiring about uh, uh, PhD, and I, I sort of pointed you in the direction because you were not in my uh, direct field of expertise, and I pointed you in the right direction, and I still thought was thinking, yes, let's see what this guy is actually going to produce one day, and it turned out amazing, and um, I'm I'm so happy that. First of all, I'm very happy that I was on the sideline so I could watch all the amazing stuff happening without actually having to be right there in the in, in, in the thick of it, uh, busy where all the action is. So I was watching it from the sideline and it was really amazing to see uh, the progress from that very first email all the way through to you graduating. So so that was really amazing. And, and that's the kind of uh, space where I normally like to work in is uh, on the side, busy uh, uh, helping and assisting on the uh, the PhD programs and on the on the research programs, so uh, of course that is that is continuing tremendously, and that doesn't stop because our uh, uh, there's always a new generation of students coming in, and the new generation of students always needs that kind of help and support, even though you might think sometimes um, as the as the as the guide as the as the person looking after the students, why do they still need to be told this again? But of course, it's a new set of students. 
it's a new set of students and they and they and they of course know nothing about what I've told told previous students. So so yes, every time it's new and every time it's fresh and every time I must say it's a, a slight bit different with every new generation of students that's that that I deal with. OK, so Ivan, I mean, as you've explained, you sort of help students come in and find their feet and sort of get through their postgraduate studies. Obviously, there's a role of a supervisor, but as you said, a little bit on the sidelines and so on. So maybe let's just get straight into it. I mean, our listeners are going to be people who are probably studying. They're most likely at a postgraduate level. And, you know, the community that we've created through the Student Success Coach really aims to encourage them and motivate them and give them practical tips and techniques and learning content possibly that can support them in their journey. And so from your perspective, I mean, over the years and the, and the wonderful role that you played in my own studies and, and many of my colleagues, what do you think are maybe two or three of the critical things that, you know, really you see as a common factor across the successful students? And even though they don't pitch up with all that knowledge, somehow they get it and become successful. Maybe you've got some thoughts on, on, on what are those common themes that achieve stu student success that our listeners can take away from to, from our chat today. So 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 Peter, absolutely. Um, the one the one theme that I will that I see all the time, uh, and and I really don't mean this to be negative, uh, and we'll 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 talk about this. But very often the theme that I see coming through is that folk somehow think it's going to be easier than what it is, and I, and I want to say that cautiously, uh, and it takes longer than everyone thought it would take, uh, and. The question is why? So, so, so why? What is this thing called research that appears to be a project which is so much tougher than anything else that's, that anyone has approached before? And the, the answer to that, I think, is that it isn't really a project in the sense that you're delivering something. Now, certainly you're going to be delivering your PhD uh, thesis, you're going to be delivering a dissertation, uh, uh, honors research report, you're certainly going to be delivering something, and that's the thing that's going to be assessed, and you're going to be uh, pass or fail, uh, depending on the outcome of that thing that you're delivering. But that's not really where success lies. Success lies in the person. So, so what is a PhD? You, you can ask that, uh, or you can say that a PhD is a thesis that has been successfully defended. And of course, without that successful defense, you don't have a PhD. But more importantly, behind that thesis is a person. And that person has changed quite dramatically. Uh, if I have to uh, think back to every single student that I've encountered and at the end, and I can use you as an example, uh, I can use you as an example and say the first time I interacted with you, you were a mm. certain kind of person and today, you are, as a person, completely different. Uh, you've changed, and that change was what that PhD was all about. And of course, for a PhD, that change is dramatic. Uh, for a master's or a honors level research, the change is smaller, but it's still that change that's in the person. And approaching it with the mindset of, uh, I just need to do a project, uh, normally doesn't lead to success, uh, because when that change starts happening, uh, you start experiencing that stress uh, because why? Because change is difficult, especially when it's yourself. And most of the time you aren't even aware that that change needs to happen. So you fight it at every single point uh, and you complain that your supervisor is doing a bad job because uh, you're putting your stress onto the supervisor. So 
recognizing that the research, the PhD, the MSc, the honors, uh, those are actually you changing into a different kind of person. Uh, I think just that realization might not make it easier, but it makes it more understandable as to why uh, taking so long, why this is so incredibly tough. Uh, it's because you as a person are busy, are busy changing. And that's where I normally work is I, I don't work with a student necessarily on the technical side because good grief, when it comes to things like like uh, uh, met metal alloys and metallurgy and, and how all of that stuff is put together, I know absolutely nothing. But I can, uh, because I'm an electrical engineer, uh, but certainly I can recognize that person who's battling with that metallurgy that they are, as a person, uh, have got maybe a lack of confidence. And we work on that personal aspect of them. Uh, or they lack the, I'm not going to, they lack the, very often what I find people lack the ability to turn plans into reality. So, so if I have to ask someone in their research, do they want to write a paper? Then the standard answer is, of course, we want to write a paper. And normally they tell me they want to write four or five. And everyone agrees that this is a good idea and everyone wants this to happen. But turning that idea, that plan into reality of I want to write a paper versus I actually have a paper. Uh, that's an incredibly tough thing to, 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 to bring about. So how do you turn plans into reality? And normally, uh, because it's the you that's busy executing this plan, uh, the, 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 the hurdles are personal hurdles. The hurdles are, are you. And how do you get yourself to, to bring that plan to reality? Therein mm. lies the, the toughness. Therein lies the, the human development. Uh, right. So... So, so that's where I, where I work a lot to try and do the, the human development side to get people to that finish line and get mm. them across that line. Wonderful, Ivan. So, I mean, I just love the fact that it's this immersive experience and you sort of yield yourself to the PhD as opposed to trying to keep it almost at arm's length or outside of yourself. And I loved it. I mean, I threw myself completely in and I was the better person for it, as you say, going through that whole process. But maybe, you know, some of the more sort of practical aspects or as you say if you want to produce a paper and you've got to be able to turn the plans into reality something that you really helped me with in a number of, of, of workshops uh, that you ran at the university and I know that you're very passionate about is is the writing process and I mean writing is just such an important and integral part of postgraduate research so I mean maybe talk us through you know just some of the practicalities there and write from you know the proposal writing stage all the way through to the advanced academic paper you know, writing, I think, just at a postgraduate level is something that you really have to get good at or at least at a minimum level of quality if you want to be successful. So so talk us through there what you think, you know, students would have to get right from a mindset perspective and then into the practical skills of, you know, churning out enough good quality writing at that level. So so I think for the for the research process, uh, writing is vital writing is the core tool of the research process and and why do i say this so a very quick exercise that i often give my students is i ask them to add five numbers and they single digit numbers so so i'd say add two plus three plus nine plus eight plus six and of course uh, and I'd, I'd even put this on the board and of course everyone just adds those numbers and they tell me what the answer is uh, and i say of course that's fantastic 
uh, then I give them another set of numbers, but this time they are maybe four or five digits in length each. And of course, you cannot add this in your in your in your head. And everyone says immediately, let me grab a piece of paper and let me work out what the addition is. And of course, if they do that, they get it right. And the question that I ask is, well, why could you add the single digits, but you couldn't add the multiple digit numbers? And this is this is very simple. Of course, you can't do that. Uh, and the reason for that is in your mind, in your working memory, you able to hold maybe uh, five pieces of information. And if the calculation that you are doing with those numbers uh, can be done with five pieces of information, so even the intermediate steps, uh, there are no more than five pieces of information that you need. Doing it in your mind is very, very simple. Uh, so if we have more than five pieces of information needed, then your mind cannot do it uh, on its own. You need that piece of paper next to you to work out that, that, that the calculation. So now when it comes to research, exactly the same thing is taking place. If you've got a problem or something you want to conceptualize and you only need five pieces of information, for example, you want to tell someone, I need to go to the shop to buy some bread, and you want to tell them where the shop is. Uh, if the shop is close by, no problem. You tell them exactly how to get there. They understand it because there's only five pieces of information. The moment uh, it's complicated and I can no longer deal with only five pieces of information, I have to write it down. And if I'm busy with my research and let's say I'm reviewing some literature or something like that, and I need to comment on, a, on, a, on an opinion that I see in a paper, but the response to that, to that opinion needs to contain more than five pieces of information, then I actually can't do it in my head. So sitting in front of the computer and trying to formulate in my mind what the correct response is that I should write down, if I need to use more than five pieces of information, uh, I actually cannot do it. Uh, just the same as what you cannot hope to add those very long uh, multiple digit numbers in your head. Maybe one or mm. two people can do it, but me and you, we can't. So yep. now uh, we need to write down those intermediate steps. So we have to almost create an argument and we have to argue with ourselves, but we have to do that in writing because the, um, the number of pieces of information is just too much to keep in your head all at the same time. So we now need to write and you, you first write to discover what you want to say. And mm -hmm. that is writing that you do for yourself. And you will write in a way that you argue with yourself. You put down those intermediate steps. You scratch out, you doodle, you, uh, you, 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 you work with thoughts. And when you are finished with that, uh, of course, you've got something that's really messy, but those are your thoughts. And all those intermediate steps that you needed to create that new knowledge, uh, that opinion that you were arguing so passionately for from the paper that needed that lot, all those multiple pieces of information. Uh, all those arguments are now captured in paper uh, and they written down. And that writing process was fundamental and core to the discovery process. And without doing that, you probably don't get to that discovery that you want to make. So, so that writing was vital to start with to discover what is in your mind and what you want to say. Once you've discovered what you want to say, and once you've got that writing that is that is in front of you, which is really messy, but it's your thoughts and it's the map of what you want to say, now you can go and edit it. And now you can make it sound amazing. And now you can show it to someone else. 
but that initial discovery of that uh, argument, those those breakthroughs, the uh, the creative part of things mm. that you have to do in writing. Yeah. So that's why it's so important. Fantastic. And Ivan, I can even remember the day that I defended my proposal back a few years ago. And, you know, I had a lot of information floating around in my head because we'd had lots of vibrant discussions with everyone that was on the panel. And you said to me, right, Peter, on your way home, I want you to stop off at a coffee shop and I want you to write down on one sheet of paper everything that's in your mind. Just bullet form. It's for yourself. You can send it to me if you want to. And, you know, the number of times I went back to that list and it was just everything in my head that I put on paper, but that was so useful because it came from that panel discussion. And I think that process of generative writing, you know, and you talk so much about the relationship between writing and thinking and almost how the writing then improves your thinking so that you can go through this iterative process and that you continue all the way through, you know, your, your PhD or master's level study. Um, so that although you're doing a lot of thinking, the end result is actually a good reflection of that thinking in your writing. You know, and that was such a powerful practical lesson that I learned from you way back when I did my proposal and I've carried it all the way through my studies and even now sort of, you know, teach students and coach them, you know, with very similar techniques to that. So, so, so absolutely. When we think about writing, we often think I'm writing because someone else wants to read it. And that's true. We do have that kind of writing, but that's the end result. Uh, when someone else reads what we have written, that's the end result. Uh, we normally want to start by writing for ourselves. And that kind of writing, that bullet list that you wrote in the in the coffee shop, um, I almost suspect you've never shown it to anyone. Uh, and it's just been for yourself. And you go and look at it when you, when you need a reminding of what happened there. But you don't show that to anyone else. And that kind of writing that you do for yourself uh, is very valuable. So... Do not always share what you've written. So write for yourself and keep that private. And the good ideas, the good formulations, the, 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 the creative parts that come out of that generative writing, uh, you take and you edit that and then you send it on to someone else. Then you write for the broader world and they can, cons can consume it. And of course, you want it to sound very, very professional and you want to have it well formulated and free of any, any spelling errors. But when you write for yourself, you don't need to worry about any of that because no one's going to see it and you allow yourself to be creative and perhaps 80% uh, of what you write, you will eventually throw away. But the extra 20% uh, that remains after that is going to be really amazing. And that's where all the creativity, where all the, where all the new thoughts lie. And, and you want to mine that uh, uh, generative writing that you've done for those new thoughts, the, the, those creative parts, and then turn it into mm -hmm. something awesome. Wonderful. And Ivan, I mean, just let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, both of us, I think we, you know, produce online courses and, uh, you know, a lot of what we talked about just now in terms of the writing techniques that's formed the basis of a couple of mine, but you've been very involved in creating courses around research methods, for example. Um, and I think we all know that the, you know, the education world is shifting and we've all been sort of experimenting, I think, with how well we can help students achieve their goals and become successful. Maybe just talk us through a little bit about, you know, your experience of, 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 you know, converting, you know, the knowledge and the experience that you built up over so many years and traditionally have given to students in the lecture hall, but now which you've sort of learned and experimented with packaging into an online digital format and the pros and cons maybe of what you've seen 
through that process and what you as, as, as an individual have learned from that and, and, and what you think is the next steps are that you'd take, you know, to get better and better at doing that and helping students um, learn about whatever topic it is that you're teaching them online. So, so, so certainly um, I'm called a lecturer. So, so that gives me a certain kind of identity. It means I lecture and during, especially now during this, uh, this, this terrible COVID-19 time where we've gone to uh, uh, recorded online lectures, uh, I've, I've, I've had a, one of the most rude awakenings that, that, that I've ever had in my life. And that is that a lecture is actually one of the worst possible ways of educating anyone. And by lecture, I mean standing in front of a, of a hall uh, full of people and you talk about something that you are passionate about. Now, certainly you can, you can as, a, as a speaker, you can motivate people to be excited about what you are saying, but actually no learning is happening. And we've seen this now online. Uh, one of the core uh, advantages of having recorded uh, online lectures is a student can look at it, stop it, uh, go back and relook at several uh, 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 takes of exactly what you are saying uh, until they finally understand what you have actually said. Whereas in a online, whereas in a live lecture, of course, that never happens. And I mm. can con con continue uh, uh, talking and I'm just oblivious to the fact that 95% of my students have lost me and they have got no idea what I'm talking about anymore, but I'm just carrying on. And uh, everyone thinks that I'm marvelous, but there's no learning that's happening. So, so going to the online kind of lecture, which is pretty much just a recorded lecture, uh, is incredibly valuable because you get to stop. You get to press pause and you say, stop, whoa, I, I, I missed that. Uh, let's go back. And I think that is really valuable. And I almost as a lecturer, um, am in the terrible position of almost saying I'm becoming redundant because my, my live lecture is one of the I've discovered now is one of the worst possible things that I could ever be busy with. So having that recorded lecture is is incredibly useful. Another incredibly useful thing about having that recorded lecture packaged in some kind of an online uh, form is that it is possible to much more closely track what is happening. So now before if I'm in a class, I give a lecture and I walk out. Um, pretty much the students go on their way. So I've given, let's say I've given a workshop on, on research methods and everyone's thought it's really amazing. Uh, and I'm, I'm not being, being arrogant when I say this. Normally the feedback is that students think that the, the lecture was really amazing, but then they walk out and a week later, even though they thought it was amazing, they've actually forgotten everything that was there. Uh, so in an online format, I get now to, to be able to engage a little bit more into the future so I can see after they finished this lecture, what did they do? Uh, and in that way, I get to see to some extent what kind of an impact is that lecture making? And, and that's one of the advantage of being online is we get data and we can get almost as much data as we ask for. And as an online uh, teacher, uh, you get to see how are your students interacting? So it, it becomes very quick uh, and very easy to see that a certain video that I've made talking about some topic, um, no one finishes it ever. Uh, so then I know, okay, that's maybe not a good uh, video. Maybe I should either shorten it or make it a bit better because uh, when they get about halfway through, everyone goes and does something else. So I'm certainly, I'm losing their attention. 
So, so that allows me to close the feedback loop a little bit better so that I don't need to just look at the students and see more or less uh, from my perspective, does it look like everyone's still awake? No, I actually get a hard data that says everyone went to sleep when I started making these stupid jokes. So, so, so let me start cutting back on that and let me start trying to increase the, the impact that I have. So, so in that sense, the, the online space is proving to be uh, a lot more effective than the stand in front of the class and, and proclaim to the world kind of a lecture. Uh, although, although that said, I do think that stand in front of the class lecture does have its place for, 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 for social contact. Um, and sometimes that is, is also important to be able to physically stand in the same room and, and communicate with real people, which we've now lost in this online, in this shift to online teaching. Uh, so, so even though I say it's really good to be able to be online because of that increased uh, teaching and learning that is happening, we have lost a little bit of the human connection and being physically present in a venue where lots of people are and you're talking to them, there's a kind of a social uh, pact, a social interaction, a social bond that gets made with those people, which I think is also valuable. Uh, and I haven't mm -hmm. been able to quite quantify that, but we, we have lost something with being online, but we've also gained uh, quite a bit as well. Mm. So Ivan, I mean, I think you've talked there a little bit about, you know, just your your learnings um, as a, a, a teacher and, you know, comparing that between the physical classroom as a what you call the traditional lecturer versus, you know, in an online sense, how to optimize your content and the length or the, the manner which you present, etc. And how would you suggest, you know, from a student's perspective, given that more and more content is going to be going online and we'll probably over time find some sort of balance between the in-person setting to, you know, retain the good parts of that, like the social aspects, but then where we can get almost the commodity off the shelf skills uh, from online, you know, content, etc. What, what would you say are some of the things that students should take into account when um, they you know, online courses or in future perhaps whole uh, lectures and even entire degrees and diplomas potentially that are going to start moving online. What is that mindset, you know, that, that sort of we need to think about the, the education world, you know, in the next decade from a student's perspective to help them be, be more successful? Uh, so, so absolutely, I agree that we are, we are moving in that. And the the advice that I would give there is there's not going to be a problem with content uh, because we're going to see content everywhere and normally even protecting content is impossible because it gets copied like you cannot believe on the internet. So, so the content will be available and we'll see a natural progression of the good content uh, being promoted and making its way to the top just as we have we see this just with a Google search. The, the, the top sites are always at the top. So, so content will be amazing. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But coupled with that amazing content, we're going to see a frustration of it not making an impact. And what I would, would point to is uh, a similar situation that we have with, with self-help books. So, so there's no shortage of self-help books uh, or diet books. And we find that those kind of books really lead to a change in a person. 
So you could say, I need to go on a diet and I want a diet and I get myself a diet book and I read it and it's a fantastic book. And do I lose weight? No, I don't. Um, so in the same way that we have online content, uh, we might say, I would like to learn how to do a literature review. Let me go and look at a, a course on doing a literature review and I look at it and it's a fantastic course. Do I write a good literature review after that? Chances are not. Uh, and it goes to, to what I was speaking of earlier about being able to bring about change in a person. So someone is not able to diet. Why? Because that change has to come about in them to be enable them to diet. You cannot write a literature review. Why not? Because there's a change that has to happen inside of you for that to, mm -hmm. to, to come about. So going forward, what I would, my advice would be, First of all, find the good content, and, and that's not going to be too tough. Then I would say you need to have a research buddy. You need to have a group of people who are probably just like you, and they're probably also not too difficult to find, and they're also probably not too difficult to link up with them because they're, you, you and your, your buddies are going to be in a similar kind of environment, a similar kind of space. You're all going to want to know let me write a literature review and you're all not going to be able to do it. But by talking to each other about that content that you've seen uh, and by discussing it and by having that social interaction and by by keeping each other on track, uh, I think that learning process is going to happen so much easier. It's not about mm -hmm. the content. The content will be there. But having that group, and I, I don't mean a large group, I'm thinking maybe four or five at a maximum. You want to have that discussion and you want to say, let's we, let's meet up once a week, uh, because if you don't have that, let's meet up once a week kind of pressure on you, which is a social pressure, then you tend mm. to say, ah, it's not that important. We'll do it next week. Mm. And when you look at mm. the end of the year, you haven't got your literature review done. Whereas yep. if you are in, in that small group, uh, you tell everyone, I haven't got the literature review done. I did nothing. Why? Because I had tough work to take care of. Uh, then mm. everyone agrees. But by the time you're telling your buddies the fifth time, I don't have, I haven't done anything. You're starting to feel inside, ah, I actually don't like that. Now mm. I, I really need to start doing something because these people are not, yep. are not really, they, 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 they're thinking <laughs> badly of me right now. Whereas in an online yep. environment, no one thinks badly of you. So, so having that, and of course you are doing it to them. And in this way, you've got that sort of social dynamic happening and you're encouraging each other and you're helping each other and you are moving forward. And you're taking that online content, which I'm saying is going to be pretty good. Uh, you're taking it and you're making it yours. You, you're bringing meaning mm -hmm. to it. And you've got that small little support group around you, which is keeping you on track. So that small mm -hmm. little support group, I'm thinking is going to be vital going on forward into the future. So I guess, I mean, Ivan, what you're talking there about is, you know, a bit of a an overhang from the internet um, sort of era where we've had this idea of, uh, you know, total anonymity almost in, in, in sort of people surfing and uh, not having that real engagement with the producer of the content. And we have to solve that to make sure that this wonderful content that you talk about actually results in the goals being achieved. Whereas, you know, in that sort of more intimate uh, physical lecture environment, that, that social pact, I think, you know, either between the students and the lecturer or between the students and each other helps facilitate and nudge people along and keep them accountable, you know, on that journey. And one of the things I talk about in my course 
is, uh, you know, this concept of burning your boats and saying, well, I commit to you um, either as a fellow student or as a lecturer or because I've got an exam or a deadline uh, next week, for example, that I'm going to do something. And then just like, you know, the, 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 the story, the history lesson of the naval commander who literally got his men to burn their boats, they, they had no backup. They had no escape plan. And that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, creating a community around content because we do that quite often. And in the Facebook group that we have, I'll often just put a little challenge in the group and say, guys, what do you all commit to each other that you're going to do by Sunday night? You know, a lot of part-time students rely on the weekends to get extra writing or get progress on their PhD or their master's. And they will then you know, comment on that post and say, I commit to reading four research papers or I commit to writing two pages of my literature review or something like that. And then I just moderate that and then follow up with people and advise them, don't set yourself a goal that's too big. Set yourself a goal that you can achieve, gain the confidence and the social acknowledgement to being able to do that. And I guess what you're saying is if we can combine the great content with the community accountability and interaction, we're going to be able to achieve students' goals in the future. And if students go into it with that mindset, you know, we should be able to move into that new normal um, successfully. So, so I, I have to agree with that, and and I really like the idea that you are you are challenging students for a for a, a, a deliverable for a target, uh, so that they can commit to this and then follow through on on the delivery. Uh, and I think holding each other accountable is so so incredibly important, because if we don't, uh, we become isolated, and after a while we find that things actually don't matter to us because we sort of just drift in isolation. But when we're in a community, of course, we want to interact in that community. We want, we actually want to be valued in that community. And why are we valued? Because we seem to be doing things. Uh, and at that point, we, we drive ourselves uh, to achieve what we want to achieve. So having the right kind of people around you, I think is really important. And the opposite is also true. You do not want the wrong kind of people around you. So if you in your little group have someone who is continually complaining and telling you that they can't and that's too hard and, and they are a drain on your on your positive energy, I'd almost say you need to ask them to go join another group, uh, get rid of them. Mm. You need those people around you that will encourage you and, and, not, and not drain you. Uh, mm. That negative energy can be incredibly uh, destructive. So, so you, want yeah. to be, um, you want to be driving forward with that positive energy and even though you might not always have it, right? So time, times come when you are, you are down and you are not progressing and things are not good. Uh, that's that's going to happen. And then you mm -hmm. want those other folk around you to be uh, yeah. pulling you back up again. And when they go a little yeah, bit yeah. down, then you are there to help them. But you don't want to consistently be uh, that person who is just purely full of negativity because uh, there's no hope for that. Yeah. And, and and, and Peter, what you mentioned on, on, on uh, setting yourself a goal. So I absolutely like that. Uh, and I also agree that setting a goal which is achievable is so very important because sometimes we set ourselves this goal which is hopelessly unachievable. I'm going to write five papers this year. And it sounds nice to set that goal and it would be fantastic if we could achieve it, but it's not going to happen. And yep. you're setting yourself up for failure. So, so having that small goal, which is actually achievable, 
is incredibly powerful because once you've achieved it, you can easily say, let's get the next goal and the next one and the next one. Mm. Yep. And I, I would go even further and say that the reason we normally don't achieve our goals is because they are too large. So I would almost suggest that if you yourself the goal for, I want to write two pages this weekend before Sunday night, um, that might still be too intimidating. And internally, you might still say it's too much and you are stressed about it because what if I don't write those two pages? And that stress keeps you from ever even starting. So I would even say uh, it's nice to think about two pages, but the goal you set for yourself is something that is utterly achievable and there's absolutely mm. no way you could not achieve it. And the goal you would set for yourself is on Saturday morning, I'm going to sit down at my desk. And that's yep. it. So that is the goal <laughs> you set for yourself. Now, are you threatened by that? Are you threatened that, oh, maybe I can't achieve that? Absolutely not. The goal is I want to sit down at my desk. That's the only objective that you have. Of course, once you are actually sitting at your desk, and it is an easy thing to do, once you're actually sitting at your desk, the next thing is you look at what's on the desk, and there is the work in front of you. Now it's not too difficult to turn the page. And in this way, incredibly small steps lead to those two pages that you write. So yeah. by the time you are, 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 are finished with that weekend, by the time that weekend rolls around, uh, you've got your objective. But your, your, your small step was, I'm going to sit down in front of my desk. And nobody can say, oh, that's too tough. I, I need special time or I need to arrange things or anything. Sitting down in front of your desk, you can do that. And that's yep. the first step to achieving those two, those two pages. So incredibly yep. small goals. And I think I love what you said, you know, just repeating it again and again. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, I applied in my PhD in which I teach in a number of my courses is to have this weekly status report. And I think I forwarded you a few of those during my PhD where I would just send my supervisors, as you know, Ken, Steve and Anthony, an email. And in the email was just the five things I managed to do the previous week and the five things that I wanted to do the next week. And that was almost my social contract with them. And I learned over the years of my PhD, you know, not to promise too much in the next week and also just to be, you know, very practical about the things that I summarized that I'd done the previous week so that I kept that momentum going. And there were times in my degree where I had nothing to report on for the previous week and that calibrated my expectations of what I was able to do for the following week. And in some cases, all I would promise my supervisors uh, on that status report is to write one paragraph or to read one paper because I knew that when Sunday night came around the next week and it would eventually do so very quickly, if I could just say, if I could move that from the to do column to the done column, I just built that momentum. And all of those inches, all of those individual tasks and all of those achievable goals eventually build up to a successful master's or a successful PhD. And so one should, as you say, have that achievable goal mindset and then repeat it as many times as it takes to get your degree. And I think I finished off my PhD and I would put the number of weeks that I'd completed in my PhD in each of my status report. And I ended up with week number 360 or whatever the case may be. And the only completed goal that I wrote in that status report was 
you know, completed PhD, for example, or whatever it was. But if I go back to week number one, you know, it was write a one-page proposal generative writing document, for example. So I think that's really valuable. So now the one thing which I will say is, and I, I will congratulate you on this, is that you had the, the, the discipline to do this every week. Uh, what I would almost suggest would be been really great is that if your, your supervisors had saw, seen that this wasn't happening, that they would prod you and say, hey, Peter, uh, I see you haven't sent it yet. Uh, just, just send me a couple of, a couple of sentences. And in this way, if you sort of had uh, didn't have the, the the discipline of maintaining that weekly sch schedule, that they just remind you uh, in, in a nice way, of course, and they just say, send me a send me one sentence about about what happened last week. And in this way, that if you had forgotten, they'd be able to sort of just keep you on track in with that regularity. And I think that regularity is uh, one of the most important things. So even if you were saying for several weeks, I did nothing, I did nothing, I did nothing, uh, having that discussion, that small email status report uh, is very valuable. And having it every week, I think is, uh, having the regularity of it uh, is really great because you got into a, into a rhythm, you got into a habit of doing that. And once you've got a habit in place, um, it happens automatically and it doesn't take any energy to keep that going. So you know you have to write the status report and you and you do it, this progress report, and it happens. Why? Because it's a habit and you don't have yeah. any more tough um, uh, willpower that you need to use to get that to happen. So the yeah. regularity of it is great, but sometimes to get started, you need a little bit of help. And there your supervisor mm. could have, if you hadn't been doing it, your supervisor could have said, hey, Peter, send me a sentence. Uh, and then you'd send them a sentence. and after a while, you'd get into the rhythm and that habit and you'd start start doing it automatically. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, from the supervisor's perspective, the one thing that I also aimed for was that they wouldn't hear any other, there would be no other emails from me during the week, unless it was a busy period and there was a deadline that we had to work on, etc. But in the normal course of events throughout my PhD, I aimed to streamline all my communications and information into that regular weekly Sunday night email. So Steve, Ken and Anthony knew on a Monday morning they'd have that mail in their inbox from me with the week number and anything that they needed to know about my studies at that time would be part of that email. It wouldn't be hidden among the clutter of five or six urgent, desperate emails with a running commentary of everything that was happening. And I sort of also teach, you know, my students that, you know, also understand that supervisors have other students that they're busy with. And as much as you can streamline your communications with them, the better service and support that you'll get from them. So like you say, if they miss that one email per week, lost that consolidated update, um, you know, about, uh, about, uh, about what you're doing in your studies. And as you say, I, you know, I built up a habit uh, and they say, you know, it takes sort of 40 days or whatever the case may be to, to build up that habit. And so as Sunday night rolled around, and if it's a, a carte blanche blues type of syndrome, or it's the end of the weekend and it's the start of the week, just mentally I knew I had to get that status report out, even if it wasn't a wonderful status report to share, or if it was a fantastic status report, I looked forward to Sunday night because I was, I was so thrilled to be able to, to update my supervisors on the progress. Okay, so, so, so Peter, yes, the, I, I have to agree that regularity, uh, and that habit, the, 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 the 
the expectation, the familiarity of it uh, is what is starts to grow on you as well. And, and that's what makes it so, so, so useful and so powerful. And I, I like what you are saying about uh, handling the supervisor in the right way. So you're not sending 100 emails throughout the week. And what I would tell everyone is that your supervisor is a is a resource. So first of all, and we can talk at length about this, I hate and I would very much prefer if it was changed to something like an advisor, because that's more the role uh, that that person plays. Uh, but when dealing with that advisor or supervisor, it's good to give them targeted instruction. So one of the worst things that a student can ask a supervisor is, what do you think? Uh, so giving the supervisor some work and saying, what do you think? Uh, the supervisor has got absolutely no idea where to start. But if you give the supervisor some work and say, I'm battling to link this part to that part, and I tried it over here, what do you, uh, uh, is this link working? Uh, and you target that feedback to your supervisor, then the supervisor is immediately going to respond and say, yes, I think it's working, or no, it's not, or you need an extra reference. Uh, but now it becomes very easy to, to give that feedback. Uh, it's not just a what do you think kind of question that you are asking the supervisor because the supervisor normally if you give them that kind of a of a, uh, if you if you ask them to do something like that they're going to start correcting your grammar and your spelling and that is probably yes. the worst thing that you could want from a supervisor you don't want them to do that you want the deeper stuff but then you've got to yes. ask them for the right things Ivan, thank you. I mean, this has just been so uplifting and insightful, and I think we must you know, have you back on, and there's so much more that we can talk about. Um, just, I mean, you know, before we came online, you know, we were sort of chatting about the need for, you know, as you say, and certainly in a South African context where you and I have both spent our lives, you know, the support to students of community and encouragement and this sort of content and the more that we can do to help them to be successful. I mean, I think any university, you know, is putting concerted effort into increasing, you know, the throughput, you know, of their postgraduate students and so on. So maybe just last thoughts there on, you know, what we can do more of and better of and perhaps that you think students would value on this podcast and in this type of content. And we spoke about other people that are doing very similar work around the world and so on. And I mean, just maybe to, to, to wrap up on your thoughts about you know, how we can help students even more with this type of uh, platform. So so I think this kind of platform is, is absolutely vital and it can serve a very good purpose. The, the one thing that I am often guilty of um, as a lecturer is not listening to my students. So very often I would almost say, I know what you need to hear. I know what you need. Uh, and I'm going to give it to you. And actually, that might not be the case at all. And even though I say, I think you need to hear the following, the student actually needs to hear something completely different. And asking the student, uh, asking the people who are in that position, what is it that they really need and what is it that they really want? And then addressing that, I think, is very, very valuable. Uh, Often we tend to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm really guilty of this myself, I know what's best for my students and I don't listen to them. I don't listen to what they are asking for. So in a forum like this, and I'm challenging, to, challenging all the students that are going to listen to this now, 
is to, to take a moment and reflect on not what I'm saying, but reflect on yourself, what you would like to hear about, and then ask for that. So I've been talking now a whole bunch about how I perceive the process, but I might be completely out of line to how you perceive it. And tell us about how you perceive it and what you would like to hear more about. Uh, tell us what your problems are. Uh, and once we know that, once myself as a lecturer knows that, we can start uh, focusing that kind of support in the right direction. So, mm -hmm. so my challenge going forward is to all the students out there, uh, what is it that you need the most of? What is it that you want to hear about? Uh, and we'll, we'll deliver for you, but let us know what it is that you want and, and we'll target you with the, with the right kind of support and the right kind of feedback. Super, Ivan. So I'm going to take you up on that because there's a wonderful feature on this podcast where um, people can actually click a button and send us a voice message about exactly that point. You know, what their thoughts were, was of this episode and then what potentially they'd like to see in the future episodes. So I'll collate those for us and then let's, let's you know, continue this conversation and look at those specifically. And maybe we can, you know, do a, 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 a podcast uh, episode where we go through the top five questions, for example, uh, from students and I can put those to you and we can, um, you know, get your insights and your wisdom on, on specifically what students are, are coming up with that they are challenged with. So I look forward to setting that up with you. But Ivan, you know, once again, for your input and support to my own journey as a student and the, the success that, that, that resulted uh, through that and the personal transformation that I had. And I must just say, I thoroughly enjoyed my PhD. I, you know, I was almost sad to finish it. Uh, so that was almost a bit, and, and I guess in a sense, that is the, 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 the true proof of how successful it really is. Um, but Ivan, to, you know, the success uh, that you and the role that you had in that, thank you. And uh, to the work that you're doing and everything that you're, you're doing with regards to getting into that online learning space, uh, you know, good luck and look forward to having you back on the show. Okay. Peter, thanks for doing this. And I, I think you're fulfilling a vital role here. And, and I look forward to seeing this grow tremendously in the future. And, and should you need to call on me, please do. I'm, I'm available. I'll, I support you 100%. And, and thank you for doing this. Thanks, Ivan. Take care. Right then. Bye-bye.